Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame. And you got the, and there's a. Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold, an ND Insider podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Pot of Gold Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. The offseason keeps moving along for Notre Dame football. This Sunday, former Notre Dame players Mike McGlinchey and Sheldon Day will play in the Super Bowl for the San Francisco 49ers. And last weekend, some former Notre Dame football players played in the Senior Bowl, the Irish contingent performed pretty well in the pre-draft showcase, but no one may have improved his NFL draft stock more than cornerback Troy Pride Jr. So we invited Troy onto the podcast this week to catch up with him. Troy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Troy, just let's start with the Senior Bowl and the week leading up to that. Why do you think it was such a successful week for you? Um, I believe that uh, the preparation that I had, um, you know, going into that week and the mindset that I took to uh, make a name for myself going into that week helped to uh, just up my competitive level and to to you know make me ready for a stage like that truly do you, do you feel like you were able to maybe showcase some things about yourself that maybe you didn't get a chance to do at Notre Dame yes um you know just the athleticism that I have the the knowledge of the game that I have the um the mixing up of different techniques and different um different uh, for, you know forms of my game that I have that I didn't get a chance to show at Notre Dame that you know I showed there and uh, I think I showed very well there Troy, this is Eric Hansen. I, you know, you moved over into the boundary cornerback this year, and I know that in the pros there's not much difference from right to left corner as there is in college because the hash marks are in a different spot. But I wondered, how did you take to the boundary corner? Do you feel like it was a positive experience for you, or did it take away from your strengths and being such a fast guy and being able to cover field? Um, you know, I took to the boundary corner as a challenge. It was a um it was a position that our defense needed um to to secure up because uh you know, we have some absences in some of our senior members. So I took it as a challenge and you know, wanted to up my level of competitiveness and wanted to up my game and be able to play a lot more press man. Um now yes, it was a little different uh technique wise and I should have done a, a couple of different things and and playing, you know, some receivers a different way. 
Um, but but no, it was it was a great experience. I mean, I, I I wanted to go to the position. I wanted to play the position. I wanted to play more press man. Now um, I should have played it a little bit better at times, but for the most part, I feel like I handled my own in the boundary. Troy, looking back on this on this past season, how how do you evaluate how it went, both from a team perspective and how it, how it went for you? From a team perspective, obviously we didn't reach our goal. We wanted to go to the playoffs. We wanted to compete for a national championship. We fell short of that goal um, in losing two games. But um, you know, overall, you know, to go eleven and two and to have a third straight ten plus win season was a great accomplishment that a lot of programs would 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 pray for. So in that regard, I mean, I think Notre Dame is trending in the right direction. Uh, for me, obviously, my numbers weren't you know specifically where I wanted them, but um, just from a coverage standpoint, from a from a competitive standpoint, from you know where I was on routes and where I was, you know, within the scheme of the defense and and how you know I I impacted the defense. I felt that it was a it was a good year, and you know how you know teams were. Would, I would take away that number one read, and they would you know a lot of times go elsewhere. Uh, there were multiple games where I only had about one to two targets. There were you know very rarely situations where you know I was either beat deep or you know, beat on a on a full route. So with that, I mean, there was a lot of times where I was a little bored on the field. <laughs> and uh, that's that's when, you know, you don't hear my name as much. That's when you're not, you know, understanding as a fan or as a spectator that, you know, this guy's doing his job, so you're not going to hear much from him. And then you get, um, you know, just that portion of the game. Troy, I know during the season we, we spoke a little bit about the fact that you hadn't had an inter- as many interceptions as maybe you would like. Um, what 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 do you need to do to maybe get more chances to make plays on the ball, or is it just kind of luck the way that some of that works out, and, and not not enough bad throws thrown your way, or how how do you kind of handle that moving forward, and maybe trying to showcase that in this this pre draft process? Well, I mean, yeah, like like you said, didn't get, a, get didn't get enough you know chances to get there, and, I, and it can be shored up with some technique. Um, the boundary corner, you know, we play a certain technique that. This, you know, at times allow for me to necessarily, you know, deviate from my technique and, and turn and look for, at the quarterback or turn and, 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 you know, go play the ball. Sometimes, you know, sometimes it was face guarding. Sometimes it was at the catch point, you know, being strong through the catch point, this, that, and the third. But, um, no, I mean, just, just being more free, being a little bit more, uh, you know, savvy with my te- technique now, obviously going to be going into a new program here soon. And uh, or new organization, and and just, just being the player that I am. I mean, it was it was there was times where I didn't feel like I was the person that I truly came to Notre Dame as. And uh, you know, getting back to it, just being comfortable, just being free, being who I am as a person and who I am as a player would would absolutely allow for that. And that was shown a little bit in uh, 2018 on our undefeated run. And I just got to get back to it. Just got to get back to being me. Speaking of being you, Troy, since 2010, there have been three Notre Dame players that have run 4-4 or faster in the 40 at either their pro day or the combine, and that's uh, that's uh, Will Fuller and then a couple of cornerbacks, Darren Walls and Bennett Jackson. What is the number we are going to be expecting from you <laughs> when you are timed in that? Well, I mean – you know, I'm always going to to hold myself to the highest level. So you said four three, 
or four three or better, two. But I mean, I'm I'm going. I'm my always goal is four two. Okay. I've always, you know, trained for that aspect. I've always wanted to to be on that short list of individuals that have done that. So, you know, Notre Dame can say there's guys that run four three, there's guys that run four four, but then there's a guy that ran four two. Have you, know? you ever done that? So, I have. Okay. And your mom wasn't holding the stopwatch, right? <laughs> no, sir. This was actually uh, in Matt Bass's system the last um, my last spring. Uh, and I wanted to swing just a little bit over to your parents. They're fascinating to me that they're both kind of involved in business, leadership, and and sports and so forth. And I wonder, did that happen after you kind of got very involved in football, or were they doing that when you were growing up? How did that happen? So I think what kind of birthed their, you know, sports consulting and and, and just helping of others was kind of my recruitment process and the the way that you know my my mother would figure out different things and different tactics that different coaches tried to do, different programs tried to do, and you know us just going going through like a big trial and error period of not getting recruited, getting an offer, holding on to an offer for a couple of months, you know, just moving around a bunch, doing a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, that kind of birthed, you know, my dad also understanding the politics of the game and and how to how different coaches see different things. And, yeah, so now they've created, like, a sports consulting conglomerate that helps other student athletes that are either going through the process or not yet going through the process to understand what to expect to get their film out there, to help them, um, you know, just know the knowledge of, the, of, of recruiting, of football, of what to expect at the next level. And and it's just been that because my brother and I went through two different recruiting processes. And with those, my parents figured out a whole bunch of information that is very vital to people that don't know. You're listening to the Pot of Gold podcast presented by Zaxby's. Before we hear more from Troy Pye Jr., let's take a short break. We know you like football. So do we. We're TireRack.com, and this is our version of a two-minute drill, except it's only 30 seconds. TireRack.com has an enormous selection of tires. Not sure which ones to buy? Use our tire decision guide to find the right tires for your vehicle and the way you drive. Then get them shipped fast and free on all orders over $50. Shipping is in as little as one day. Free. TireRack.com ships to independent, recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Touchdown! Troy, catch us up on what you're doing now in the pre-draft process. Where are you training? What are you focusing on? And uh, how are things going for you? So I'm at uh, Michael Johnson Performance in uh, Dallas, Texas. And I can honestly say it's been, you know, one of the best experiences. Um, Just going to a more low-key, you know, situation that's more personalized and uh, allowing me to compete with some guys every day that are that are top tier athletes. Um uh it's just been, you know, fun to really just get into this process and really, you know, just grind out and, and go get, you know, what I really want. And uh that's an NFL career. So, you know, kinda of doing it on my own has, has been the best way that I've known how. And just being here has really taught me that and shown me, you know, what what to do to be, you know, a pro, what to do to be, you know, a great athlete, what to do to get to where I want to be. Troy, uh, do you stay in contact with Julian? And if so, what kind of feedback did he give you about his rookie year in the NFL? So uh, Julian, actually, um, 
um, you know, texted all of us in our group chat and was saying, like, you know, if we have any questions, that he is a uh, source for, um, you know, just to ask and to, to be there for us because he knows it was very hectic for him. And, um, you know, I've asked some questions before, you know, just as he was even going through projects last year, just like, yo, like, how's everything going? Like, are they making you do this and third? And, and but, our, but our processes are different. He obviously left early. He was obviously, a, um, you know, a wide name. I uh, finished out my senior year, and, you know, I'm trying to make a name for myself. And it's it's, it's going through a little differently, but at the same time, I mean, we – we we definitely converse on you know what to do, how to you know go about different things, how to be a professional and stuff like that. Troy, uh, Todd Light left the, the Notre Dame's program after this se- this past season. How how much would you say he impacted your career, and can you kind of describe the ways that he impacted you? Uh, Coach Light, from like a, the standpoint of uh, you know being first class in just about everything, um, helped me you know, to, to be, like, professional within the program, to be professional outside the program and to, um, you know, understand my impact throughout the program. Um, he was always, you know, do everything at the highest level. And uh, that was his mantra. And, you know, that's what we wanted to uh, embody for him. So uh, with that, you know, just, just kind of teaching me how to, you know, move as someone, you know, of high stature, as someone of, uh, that was, you know, widely regarded. But, um, no, yeah, Coach Light was an influential figure in that aspect, um, and I appreciate him for that. <laughs> Troy, I, I just wonder if you can kind of take us through the evolution of, you know, being there with Brian Van Gorder your freshman year and then him getting fired in the middle of that season, then you suddenly getting some playing time after that, and then Mike Elko comes in, and then you have another coordinator in Clark Lee. What what was it like to play for those three different coordinators? So they're all different personalities. Um, and and um, I think Coach Van Gorder was probably the most extreme personality. <laughs> then it, you know, kind of went lesser with Coach Elko. Um, and then, you know, you get to Coach Lee, who's a great guy and, and one of my, you know, favorite coaches I've ever had. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a trying time. It was a lot of adversity. Um, Shoot, you know, you go from not playing four games to uh, getting thrown to the fire. You know, maybe you're not ready, maybe you don't really know. You know, we're not very good. We're four and eight, so it's like, oh shoot, like horrible season. You know, you never want to repeat that. Notre Dame, that's Notre Dame standard. So we get to overhaul the coaches, a new strength coach. So I go in there now is five a.m. workouts. You know, I'm trying to gain weight. I'm trying to run track. So I'm in and out, kind of in and out, but not really like, still locked into football, of course. So then I gain gain some weight a little bit, you know, get some momentum into the season, ready to go in there and start from day one. Well, that doesn't happen, you know. Nick Watkins comes back, he takes a starting role with Julian Love, and he, once again, I'm on, I'm I'm moving into a special teams role my entire sophomore year until you know a couple games mid season, and then I end up starting late season. So then it's like, golly, okay, now I'm finally starting again. Now it's like I'm looking over my shoulder, like, are they going to take me out? You know, how is this going to work? What's going to go on? So, you know, we end up going 10-3 that season with a win at LSU. And um, once again, we're building momentum. I'm like, okay, like, I've started. Now it's really time for me to, you know, take take the next step. Well, I end up starting my entire junior year. We're undefeated. You know, everything's going well. We end up losing the playoffs. And it's like, man, like, okay, like, that was a good first year starting. You know, we'll have everybody come back. And 
and the situation will be, you know, mostly the same mixture. We're going to win all our games again. That's always the plan. Julian leaves. Uh, we have some shifts back in the secondary or a lot of different individuals left that um, that kind of changed the team. Miles um, Boykin as well. And now it's like, okay, now people's got to make the name for themselves. People have got to step up into a role. So I'm, I'm moving to the boundary corner role. Um, you know, not the season I wanted. You know, certain games were just, you know, disappointing for me to not be able to make plays on the ball and, and not, you know, impact the game like I wanted to, especially at the beginning of the season. Um, we only lost at Georgia at the time. And, you know, I'm just trying to carve a rollout for myself. Then going into losing to Michigan, pretty tough, you know, but but the true competitors can come back from that and can really rise from that. And I think that's what our team did. That's what, I think that's what I did. Instead of, you know, sulking on the loss and, and giving up on the season, we intended to finish where we started and rattling off, what, six six wins after that was, was something to, you know, be uh, proud of. And, and I'm very proud of that, and I'm very proud of the season I've had, and I'm very proud of the time that I've had in Notre Dame. And I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't commit somewhere else. And I wouldn't, you know, be somewhere else. Troy, obviously you're, you're hoping to be going against NFL competition and practices moving forward. But are you going to miss going against Chase Claypool in practice every day? Or are you going to be happy to no longer have to do that? Well, I mean, that's a great competitor right there. So, you know, I'll, I'll miss it in some aspects of, you know, just going against him and, and knowing he's going to give his best and knowing I'm going to give my best. And winning and losing, you know, that's just a part of the game, you know. So I'm going to miss that part of it. But, um, you know, I'm, I know I'm going to see, you know, heavy talent. And hopefully I get a chance to play against the guy because I want to see him. I want to see his game, you know, his his game, real live reps. And, mm-hmm. you know, just all the guys that I know and all the guys that I've seen, it's um it's going to be amazing to, you know, see him at the next level and, you know, play against him at a high level. And that's always my plan is to, to start and play against the guys that I've played with in college and 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 just have a great career. Um and just, you know, make my supporters proud, make the people that have uh, always supported me and been with me proud. You know, next year, Sean's coming back for his sixth year, and Tariq will be back, and then it's just guys with very little experience. I'm wondering of of K.J. Wallace, Isaiah Rutherford, I don't know how much corner Cam Hart was able to play before he got hurt, but of those three guys, who kind of sticks out to you as – Maybe somebody who will be able to help next year. One individual I can absolutely say who, even in some ways, I think resembles you know my work ethic is Isaiah Rutherford. Um, I mean, the kid is relentless. Like he's he's always going. He's always wanting extra work. He's always wanting to know this. Like he's he's hungry for the game, which is you know a sight to see. Because I mean, I can I remember when I was there. I remember when I was like, man, I'm not playing. I want to play. I mean, I want to affect the game. I want to be here, and I, I mean, I've had to slow him down at times. Like, man, like you gotta, you gotta win here first for you, before you can win up there, and you gotta, you know, lay the groundwork before you can, you know, go be the guy. So, I think Isaiah is gonna step into a, a new role, especially with um, maybe a new coach and some and some more confidence um, going into the season. You know, this should be a big spring cram. I'm expecting. And and update and I want updates on him just about every time that he has them because I mean that's a guy that you know I could I definitely saw something special in him and you know moving forward I know there's going to be special something coming out of him and and then flipping it to the other side of the ball Wilkins Austin Lindsey Keys 
Who's the tough covers in that group? Goodness gracious. So you got speed with Lindsey. He can run by anybody on any given day. This dude doesn't have a – dude doesn't get tired. Uh, I, just, I saw that firsthand. So you got um, – Lindsey's going crazy. Keys is going to be, you know, you know, your most reliable. He's going to be your in and out of breaks. He's going to be when you need something to happen. You're going to go to Keys, and he's going to make it happen. Now, Kevin Austin is going to be a freak athlete. The guy is um, incredible. You know, just some of the things he did was incredible. Some of the catches that he had is incredible. He's just got to be trusted. Once, the, you know, everybody can trust him, it's going to be lights out for him as well. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a sight to see just, like, what he could do on the football field. I saw him every day in scout team, and it was a battle every day. So, you know, just in um, Wilkins, goodness gracious, like Joe was injured a, a large portion of the season last year. The man, the man came back and was, once again, lights out. I expected big things from him in the bowl game. But he didn't get his opportunity, but it's wide open now. So the same, I mean, those young guys, man, they're, they're going to be special. It's just about, you know, where they develop, where they grow, who they're going to be is going to be, you know, the work that they put in. But, man, they're going to be – Goodness gracious, great. Troy, like I mentioned, without Todd Light coming back, Notre Dame needs a cornerbacks coach now. If you, if you were asked to con- give some consulting of what Notre Dame should look for in the next cornerbacks coach, what, what important traits they should have, what, what kind of advice would you give? Well, I mean, I, I would first you know, divert to um, Coach Joseph. Now, that's an individual that, you know, is, is – <laughs> You know, at times crazy. I mean, the amount of information he knows, the amount of information he carries with him is, is pretty crazy. So I would want an individual, you know, of that nature, uh, individual that's, you know, obsessed with the details of playing cornerback, obsessed with, you know, the techniques, the di- and then and then honing on different techniques for different players. Um, you know, when you can't have a six-three corner in a in a six in a four three corner playing the same, you know, position and, and same um idea of coverage. It's just it's just gonna be totally different from the beginning. So, you know, an, an individual that's smart, that knows his players and that, you know, knows the techniques and what to do to make individuals successful is gonna be someone that's gonna make the program great. And from Terry Joseph, I know that he's gonna, you know, find that person and uh he's gonna work with the defense and they're gonna it's gonna be a new group next year. Troy, one guy that's been connected as a potential candidate for that job is Christian Parker, who is a defensive analyst while you were here at Notre Dame. What can you tell us about what he, what role he played and what kind of impact he had on you guys? Wow, I didn't even, see. I didn't even know that. Um, to hear that, you know, really brought joy to my heart because CP was a guy that helped me greatly. He was a guy that saw a lot of those, you know, small details that I was missing in my game in 20, in 2017. And golly, man, if Coach Parker gets the job, I think <laughs> I think I might have to be back for a couple of games because I, mean, <laughs> I know those corners I know those corners are going to go crazy. Like, just the drill work that he was doing, you know, just talking through stuff. I remember when he first got there, I was like, dude, we got to go, you know, we got to meet in fall practices. Like, we got to, like, I, I want to I wanna hear everything that you got, basically, because I know, like, he's talking the game, he's understanding the game, he's putting me in the right position when I'm not doing right. He's like, come on, like, what are you doing? Like, it, it, CP's the man. So if he gets that job, I mean, I'll I, I for sure, you know, love to see those corners under him. That's a great endorsement. I got one more for you. There's a player that's a secondary player that I am high on, and I just can't believe that it hasn't happened for him yet. 
And I just wondered your thoughts. He's moved around a lot in the secondary, and that's Houston Griffith. What do you mm-hmm. think his future looks like for Notre Dame? Uh, Houston, man. Like I said, once again, another guy that that you know I kind of talked to a lot, mentored. Have uh, you know he's put in the work, and I think he wanted to play safety this past year. Obviously, he's playing behind some some very some heavy talent, but uh, I think Houston's going to take off here soon. I mean. It's going to be a, a night and day difference because I mean he puts in the work and he doesn't complain. I never heard Houston sit there and, and talk about his playing time and his reps. All he was talking about was, man, how am I going to get better? What am I going to do to get better? How am I going to know the system better? Like, and that's the type of men that Notre Dame brings. That's the type of uh, individuals that Notre Dame wants. Um, you know, the guys that are all about themselves usually don't make it out. And Houston's not one of those individuals, so I think he's going to elevate his game to the next level this year. I think he's going to play a key role in some of our big games. And, shoot, you know, maybe All-American on the, on the way to All-American safety. That sounds like you a know. plan. I imagine Notre Dame fans will be really excited about that. Hey, Troy, that's all we have for you. We appreciate you taking time to talk to us, and good luck uh, with the rest of the pre-draft process. Thank you very much. I appreciate you, gentlemen, as well. You're listening to the Pot of Gold Podcast presented by Zaxby's. Crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello. Plus, better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates since it's Super Bowl week. Eric, I thought we could do some Super Bowl prop bets. First one I have for us, which is our most football-related one, is a higher number. Sheldon Day tackles or Mike McGlinchey sacks allowed? During the season, those were both pretty low numbers. Right. Sheldon had 10 regular season tackles. I think he's had five in the playoffs. But he was getting them at the end of the year. He was getting at least one or two a mm-hmm. game at the end of the year. McGlinchey gave up five sacks for the season. So I'm going to say Sheldon Day tackles. Yeah, this this uh, this is actually a, a tough one in my mind. The Chiefs' pass rush is pretty good, so I think there's a chance that Mike could give up a sack. I, I would be a little bit surprised if he gives up more than one sack. Um, but I and Sheldon doesn't play a ton, but he gets a, 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 he's in the rotation and gets gives opportunities too. So just because I think Mike will have more opportunities to potentially give up those sacks, I'll I'll, I'll side with Mike. Um, but I, I don't expect necessarily either number to be very high, like kind of like you mentioned. Next one over under two minutes for Demi Lovato's rendition of the national anthem. Well, she's only gone over two minutes once. It was the <laughs> McGregor Mayf weather fight eric's done his research he didn't want to be he didn't want to be schooled on the super bowl prop i didn't want to be stone cold (laughs) um so i'm gonna go under two minutes i'm gonna go over i think it's uh i usually uh do some prop bets with some friends during uh the super bowl and i I just find it more fun to cheer for the over (laughs) and it's uh less anxiety inducing to to when they're holding those notes really long so i'm gonna go over um, she can really wail, so I, I think um, I'm excited to see what, what uh, she does for the National Anthem. Next one, will Alex Rodriguez be shown during the halftime show? 
I'll say no. I'm going with yes. Um, I didn't give Eric this information that he is the fiance of Jennifer Lopez. I don't know if you were aware of that. Um, so that would be why they would potentially show Jenny him. from the block. <laughs> Jenny from the block. You see, you know plenty about J Lo. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to go with yes. He he's uh, been seen a lot in like proud boyfriend, proud fiance moments at, at different like award shows and stuff. So I'm, I'm guessing they'll show a Rod in, in some fashion during the halftime show. Next one is what will be the Gatorade color dunked over the winning coach? And the options I gave us were clear, orange, yellow, blue, red, and other. To me, red would seem to make sense for both teams. So right. that's the direction I'm going. I, I went. I went the same based on their color scheme, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they got. Maybe their captains like the blue flavor slash color. Whatever. I don't know what the blue flavor is necessarily, but maybe they like that one better. So we'll, we'll see. But I, I went with red as well. And then last, who will win the game? 49ers or Chiefs? I'm picking the Niners. I am as well. And, uh, I just think that they are the better team. It's scary to go against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, but um, I think the Niners have, have a chance to, to pull it out, and that would be a pretty exciting time for both Sheldon Day and Mike McGlinchey. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI. And Eric's at E. Hansen NDI. First question we have is from Hurley Fever at Hurley Fever. And Frank Sarah 3 also asked a similar question. Do you expect to see an improvement in the running game next season? And if so, how much? Also, are you concerned with Jafar Armstrong being the lead back given his injury history? Well, it's an interesting question because when you say improve the running game, where are you looking for improvement? Mm-hmm. Notre Dame at 44th was actually 17 spots ahead of national championship LSU in terms of rushing yards per game. They were they were a better team in yards per carry. They averaged almost five yards a carry. LSU was down a little bit from that. Um, but the one thing about LSU was in the big games, the running game showed up. Mm-hmm. They had 187 against Auburn, 166 against Alabama, 160 against Oklahoma, 165 against Clemson. Notre Dame, 46 against Georgia, 47 against Michigan, 106 and a near miss with near upset from Virginia Tech. And you look at Clemson and Ohio State, they were able to run the ball in big games. Maybe not to their average, but certainly didn't fall off. So I think when I think about an improvement, I think about showing up in the big games, in the Wisconsin and the Clemson game, being able to get those big third and twos. And I do expect it. I think if if they do not have an improved running game next year with um, with five starters coming back oh, on yeah, the offensive right. line and a little bit more, I think, off uh, running back talent, then I think probably the people that are, you know, crowing about Jeff Quinn will have a, a beef there. But uh, I, I think – I'm not saying exponentially better. I'd say right. significantly better. One other thing that factors in and why these teams can run the ball in those big games is because their quarterbacks play well in those big games. Ian Book hasn't played well against elite defenses right. yet, so he's got to be part of that because if he's not throwing the ball well, he can't pull the people out right, of the you box. Stack the box, right? Yeah, yeah. I. I I'm not I don't want to I don't want to feel too confident about anything when it comes to the running game yet. I want to see some of it in practices whether in the spring or in fall preseason camp. 
Um, so I'm in wait and see mode there. I, it, it would seem to make sense based on the, the, the coaching hires and what they're telling recruits and what hopefully they will tell us whenever we get to talk to them it, that uh, the running game is, is going to be valued in Tommy Reese's offense and that uh, they're working together with Lance Taylor and Jeff Quinn to, to, to design a running game that, that works well for Notre Dame. Um, so I, I, I don't want to be too confident about that um, until, I, until I see a little bit more of it, but I like um, the concepts behind what, the, what, what seems to be at play here. In terms of Jafar Armstrong, given his injury in history, I, I wasn't concerned at all about Jafar going into last season. I was pretty confident, thought he'd be a breakout player, have, would have a great season, and now I think it's it's natural to be concerned about that. I, uh, for his sake, hope that the, there's no more injury issues. But um, I think Notre Dame needs to maybe be better prepared for and know that he might not be able to be relied on, um, and, and make sure the other guys are in in a better position to to back him up. Certainly, Tony Jones was in a good position last year, but beyond Tony, it didn't seem like they were the other guys were quite ready for for a bigger workload and um they need to have those guys ready this season next question is from brian swint at brian swint do you expect lance taylor as the run game coordinator to be involved in improving the run blocking by working with jeff quinn if not how do they achieve better results you know it's not like he's going to teach jeff quinn i think what the the very most important concept is is that they agree on things right and so if lance taylor and jeff quinn can see eye to eye on how to block certain things and and different formations different you know that that they're in agreement the problem with chip long and jeff quinn is that there was not that agreement uh from what i understand and so if you're kind of constantly bickering about how to do things, you got two different philosophies. You got to twist a guy's arm on how to teach blocking a different way than you're used to. I think that's a problem. And I do think there's harmony. I think the big reason we haven't gotten the tight end coach hire yet is Brian Kelly wants to be really careful that he's bringing in the best guy for that role and that can kind of blend very well with the other pieces because the last thing they need with a team that's this loaded with talent is dissension in the coaching rooms yeah I think being on the same page can go a long way but you're right I don't think Lance is going to be uh harping on an offensive lineman for taking the wrong first step out of their out of their uh stance or or putting their hands in the wrong place when they're run blocking but I do think that in terms of scheme there will be more communication there and, and working together and making sure that they are on the same page um, at least that's the goal we'll see if it happens but um, I think that it, it makes sense the way they're setting it up and giving Lance a more of a role as the run game coordinator and uh, we will see how that all comes together and, and being that it's Tommy Reese's first time as the offensive coordinator you think he would be pretty open-minded to suggestions and rather than saying hey I already know how to do things because I've done this for so long I think that that helps the situation as well. Next question is from at Dio Carroll one. Should Andy hire a tight ends coach or a chief of staff and who should it be? Well, if the chief of staff could coach tight ends, help with the offensive line coaching, <laughs> someone the, nominated Quentin Nelson for chief of staff. You, yesterday. <laughs> you can, you can call it whatever you want, but they need somebody that can coach tight ends at tight end you. And they need somebody that can 
I think give a second set of eyes to the offensive line. Right, yeah. I, I don't have an opinion on who it should be, whether the names that have been connected to the job are, are great candidates or not. I, I, I think I've, I sound like a broken record, or at least I feel like one that – we don't necessarily know whether these coaches are going to be good or not. Uh, we go off very little information once once they first become coaches, and we're only going off secondhand uh, information in most of those cases at best. Um, so I, it just needs to be someone who can offer guidance potentially to Tommy Reese as an offensive coordinator and and work well with, with Jeff Quinn as the offensive line coach. I think that seems to be what they're looking for. Like you mentioned that Brian Kelly is, is, is targeting someone that will bring – not only expertise to that that position, but also bring some harmony to the offense to make sure there's not a bunch of just heads butting um, and they're not getting anywhere within the coaching ranks and they're able to focus all their efforts into the, the into the players themselves. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. ND has seemed to be hovering around the second to third tier of programs with lack of quality depth at every position, being something that held being something that's held them back, see the Cotton Bowl versus Clemson. How close are they as a program, or do you expect a similar season to 2019? Your face seems to get at my thought. To me, I thought there were separate issues in yeah. terms of the Clemson case and the Cotton Bowl. Certainly what there were issues with the depth, and that's part of the reason Notre Dame, uh, at least defensively, wasn't able to hang with Clemson because Julian Lovell left the game and everything seemed to, to fall apart. But I don't think that either of Notre Dame's losses at Georgia or at Michigan were related to Notre Dame's lack of depth. I think you may make a small argument that if Notre Dame had better depth at running back um, after losing Jafar Armstrong and Louisville, and maybe you would be better prepared to at least commit yourself to the running game more than they did at Georgia. Um, but um, the, the Michigan game, Notre Dame's best players just got their butt whooped and that's, that's how yeah. it was. And so it wasn't, it didn't have to do with depth. Now is, is Notre Dame at the, overall talent level regardless of depth just top line talent as as Clemson or Alabama no I don't think they're there yet um, and I think they need to continue to work on that but I think this season also was a pretty good example of the depth they had that they they lost essentially their two best two of their best pass rushers and Dalen Hayes and Julian Aquara yeah. and their defense didn't crater um, and then they lost two of their starting offensive linemen and their offensive line didn't crater certainly maybe didn't ex- exceed expectations or perform um, at the level some people would have liked, but I think this past season was actually a pretty good example of the depth Notre Dame has. Certainly there's areas that it, you can't say the same thing about. I think there's certain areas, areas on the team that they don't have great depth, um, but I think that um, they are building that depth. I'm just not sure how – and I'm not sure how much the depth will have to do with whether or not they can beat West, Wisconsin or Clemson this coming year, and that's the big, those are the big questions. Yeah, I mean they need improved quarterback play – they needed to get faster at the skill positions. I'm not sure if depth was at the top of the list. Now, again, there are players they can't afford to lose next year. They can't afford to lose Kyle Hamilton. Right. They can't afford to lose Sean Crawford. So does that mean they're they're not developing depth? It's just the cycle of sometimes at a certain position what what happens. But the more talent you can bring in, the more talent you can retain and develop – you know, the better your depth's going to be. But I wouldn't put that at the top of my list. That's why my face wrinkled when I <laughs> – Yeah. And, and, again, he was second – I get caught up on the phrasing of the question. I would be a terrible sure. coach because <laughs> I, I can't get past the second, third tier. Well, wait, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right, next question is from Carlton Butler at Carlton underscore Butler. I'm excited to see philosophy changes over the past few years 
in ND recruiting. With the success and the recruitment of the likes of Kyle Hamilton or Chris Tyree, do you see ND getting down in the trenches more often against the reigning top five recruiting programs? Well, I think yes, because they are putting a more premium on speed at running back and wide receiver. So I think naturally a lot of times you're going to have to fight the top programs to get them. Now, again, fastest wide receiver of the Brian Kelly era, they didn't have to fight those programs to get Will Fuller. Right. Uh, but I think the probably the interesting wrinkle in all that was the whole concept of verifiable speed, mm-hmm. that they're not taking a high school coach's word that the guy runs a 4-4. They need to see that somewhere. He needs to have done it on the track. He has to have done it at a rival's camp where they had – you know, again, not amateurs timing these people that right. they were. So, so I think that's the biggest thing. But I don't think they're afraid to go right. up against those guys. And again, they're still going to want to go with the whole fit equation. You know, what good did Aaron Lynch coming to Notre Dame do when he wasn't a fit and right. he yep, didn't even yep. stay through? you know, spring practice of the end of his freshman year. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you there. That was kind of – those were the thoughts that I had. I don't know that Notre Dame looks at an offer list and says, oh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State's on that list, so we can't go after this kid. I don't know that Notre Dame's ever really treated recruits like that. Certainly they might feel like they might not have a good chance at it based off of the information they have outside of the kid's offer list. But um, I think that Notre Dame – needs to do a good job of identifying which guys are worth fighting for. Yeah. Uh, like like you mentioned, Aaron Lynch, the guy I thought of was Demetrius Robertson. Should they have yeah. spent as much time on Demetrius Robertson as they did? Was And I, and I'm not, and I don't mean that Demetrius Robertson's career hasn't panned out as, as well as it should have. As, as it he was hasn't. Pretty, and it hasn't, but that's not why I'm saying that. Yeah. My thought is how, reali- how realistic was it ever that he was going to come to Notre Dame and should have Notre Dame have figured that out sooner? Um, and maybe they were just – they had good information and he just chose wrong and maybe they knew i would imagine they know better than we do um but uh i think you just have to do they something told them or they felt that chris tyree was a guy worth fighting for so lance taylor and chip long made sure that they didn't give up didn't let him go off to oklahoma um they kept fighting and and ended up winning out on that recruitment and so um there's a a lot of recruiting just comes down to effort and, and trying and not giving up and and being um enthusiastic about it and knowing that it it dictates how your job is going to end up being because if you get good players it makes your job easier as a coach so um i think that um, notre dame has a pretty good staff in terms of recruiters um and that and all the guys that are willing to to go in and, and get after it and we'll see if they can continue to do so and and try to push their classes up higher in the rankings which brian kelly has uh, essentially vowed to do so they, they think that is possible next question is from jude at ndjrs Notre Dame has lined up four or five NFL stadiums next year, depending on how you quantify the L.A. Coliseum. I realize recruits are unique, but would you say the minority or majority value playing in NFL stadiums and make that part of their decision-making process? You would talk to recruits more than me. I would say it'd be pretty far down the list. I think they'd think it was cool. It's a cool perk. Hey, we're going to be playing. Oh, wow, really? And then – you still have to sell them on other things. And and if you're a playoff team, unless you're playing your semifinal in the Rose Bowl, you're going to be playing in a pro stadium in the semifinals and likely in the championship game. So those are the pro stadiums I'd want to be – I'd be interested in playing. <laughs> yeah, I think 
when if we're looking at kids' perspective of the schedules, I think uh, the opponents are more important than the venue itself. I think that who who they're going to be playing against. I think kids have uh, have some value in that, and certainly it's easier for teams within conferences because they sort of have reputations. But Notre Dame, obviously, who they're going to play can change from year to year. Also, I think the location of the venue rather than the actual venue matters more. Like if they're playing close to home, and that's a maybe they grew up a Panthers fan, or and they're from North Carolina, and so playing in Charlotte, it would be is a cool opportunity for them. But I I don't know that it's it's not going to be very high up on the recruiting pitch list for Notre Dame, and I would say it, in terms of recruits, the minority of them um, really value playing in NFL stadiums. I think it's a cool thing and a cool thing that Notre Dame can spin. In terms of look at this is how special we are. We get an opportunity to play in NFL stadiums all the time, um, but I don't know that it's making a, a, a big difference either way in, in terms of recruiting. Next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. How much playing time do you foresee Michael Mayer getting as a true freshman with Cole Komet gone? It seems like his skill set is unique on the team, even as young as he is. I would say it's it's really complete for as young as he is, and I've got a chart sitting in my Google Docs of freshman tight ends since I think going all the way back to the 80s about who's how productive they've been and there's not been a ton of production from the freshman Kyle Rudolph leads that list mm-hmm. and he kind of got pressed into playing a little bit earlier uh, because of some injuries although he probably would have overtaken them anyways so but I I expect him I, I think he's an elite tight end I don't, you know, he's not going to have the production Cole Komet had last year, but between Brock Wright and Michael Mayer and Tommy Tremble, I think you're going to get some nice production out of that position. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that he gets some significant playing time. I think, in my mind, Tommy Tremble's probably going to get a lot regardless. And, and Brock Wright is sort of that one guy that I think could be the difference between whether Mayer plays a lot or not. If Brock Wright, If there's another level in Brock Wright's game that we haven't seen yet, um, I think we've kind of maybe think that could happen, but it hasn't necessarily happened. Um, so you wonder if that um, will allow Brock to stay in the lineup or if that uh, limits M- Michael Mayer's opportunities. But um, also I want to see what how do, what does Tommy Reese value in terms of position groupings and stuff? What, does he want to play two tight ends as much as, as Chip Long like to do at times? And If he wants to run more, he's going to Right, you up. would think so. But I think, I mean, you can also spread teams out and run the ball too. Yeah. So uh, there, there's different philosophies when it comes to that. So I'd like to see... Um, what what Notre Dame but thinks you can spread Tommy Trump? <laughs> yeah, and you can, and so I, I think that uh, we um, don't really know how that's all going to shake out. But I think Mayer is talented enough to demand a, an opportunity to play. It's whether or not Notre Dame feels confident enough in the guys ahead of him um, that they don't need him to. Next question is from Irish fan ten Irish fan one zero two. How do paycheck games work with the Irish? It was reported that we are playing Cal to paying Cal to play us, despite being a Power Five team. Do all non-conference football games include a payment for the away team? I mean, it's not unique to Notre Dame that the Power 5 schools like to have a 7-5 split in terms of home games and away games. And when you do the math, and Notre Dame is either 7-4-1, 6-5-1, 7-5 with their Shamrock Series. So you're going to have to have teams that are willing to come to your stadium where you don't have to return the trip and then it becomes a negotiation right how much are you going to pay them how much are they willing to take and so that's part of doing business i mean alabama does it ohio state does it 
and and the advantage for the schools that are getting the paycheck is they don't get the big conference payouts like the SEC just announced they're getting forty five million each school. Right. Um, so th- this is a way for them to kind of make up uh, some of the financial difference by playing these games. And Notre Dame, you know, by having the extra home game or whatever, not having to give up that revenue, I mean, it's worth worth it to them. So I hope I answered the question there. Yeah, uh, Jude, who asked a question earlier in the podcast, uh, does some work for One Foot Down, and he did some reporting that Notre Dame is paying $1.9 million to Cal for that home game. Um, they're also paying 1.25 million to Marshall for to come in that season the week week beforehand, and um, it, for he has some other examples. The Cincinnati will be coming to Notre Dame Stadium in 2021, and they'll be paid 1.2 million. So the, yeah, these these they're only you only pay teams to come visit if you're not going to make a return visit to their to their home stadium because then they don't have a chance to make revenue off of that game. So it's not a fair split. So that's that's why Cal is making money. That instead of Notre Dame agreeing to go out to Cal. They said, "Hey, we're going to pay you. We're going to pay you, and then we're all good here. We don't have to. We don't have to give up a give up a road game when we we don't want to play that many of them, and we already have a few booked for that season. And theoretically, Cal can negotiate a higher figure because Notre Dame probably can charge a little bit more for the Cal tickets than it right. can for, for Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, I would think so, unless things are going very poorly for Cal. All right, next question is from Nick Gonzalez at Nick G fourteen twenty one. If you were traveling from California to a game." Would you rather see ND Wisconsin or ND Clemson? I personally like the Clemson one, but that's because it's a proper home game. I think they're both neat. I mean, when I've been asked this for years, where should Notre Dame play a Shamrock Series game? And and Lambeau Field was always number one on my list, and it's finally coming up, so I think that's really cool. But there's a very good chance Clemson's going to be the number one team in the country when they roll in. And Notre Dame hasn't played a number one team anywhere in 15 years. And they've only played one top 10 team at home in the Brian Kelly era. So I would want to be in that stadium for a game against number one, hoping that there was an upset that day if I'm a fan coming from California. Yeah, I think I'm more of a wimp as a fan. I would I, – I, I prefer to go to games that i feel like the team has a chance a better chance of winning mm-hmm. and obviously i think anyone if you're just looking at these two games on paper you think Notre Dame has a better chance of beating wisconsin than they have do beating clemson so that's my personal perspective but i understand and i think if you're talking about just the better atmosphere for a game more excitement going into the game i think clemson at notre dame stadium and, and it is probably the more favorable one but um if you're looking to be happy after the game if that's the most important part to you i would maybe go to the notre dame wisconsin one rather than the notre dame clemson one well i know that you weren't around for or i mean you were alive but you weren't <laughs> at um the notre dame usc game yeah, in no 2005 five. but it was electric right. there was nothing like it um it it was incredible not only on game day but the week leading up to the game i remember going to the pep rally they had it in the stadium and I'm walking towards the stadium, and I'm seeing heads popped up over the top of the stadium. I'm like, "Are you kidding me? They have that many? They had forty five thousand people for a pep rally." Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so I don't know if, if people that attended that game still feel that same way about wanting to be there for that, even though Notre Dame lost. It, it was a good game, so I imagine they probably were still happy that they were there for that. But 
Um, yeah, I think I'm just more of a wimp and, and don't want to be mad after the after after a game that I paid money to attend. I'd rather be mad at home than be mad at, in the building itself. Do you want us to stop to get new batteries, or do you want us to run? Next question is from not a fan of sports at psilly226, always with the creative questions from him. If you had to build a complete ND football coaching staff of only Brian Kelly era players, whom would you pick? And he said, let's exclude Tommy Reese since he's too obvious of a choice. Okay, so I picked guys that played their position. And uh, for offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, I came down to two. I wrestled between Andrew Hendricks and Dane Christ. And Dane's been on our show, and his analysis was incredible. Mm-hmm. So I'm going with Dane, and I'll let Andrew Hendricks be the team doctor. <laughs> um, tight ends, I went with Kyle Rudolph. I, I watched his leadership in action when I spent some time with him in Cincinnati and some other Cincinnati area players. Wide receiver, I'm going with Chris Brown. I thought he was an excellent leader. I think he'd be a really good teacher. Uh, offensive line, it came down to Quentin Nelson, Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey speaks English. Quentin Nelson needs subtitles because um, he grunts too much. Uh, running backs, I went with Robert Hughes, um, who was on the 2010 team. Mm-hmm. I just think he's one of the coolest guys I ever met, and I think he'd be a great recruiter. Sure. Defensive line. Notre Dame doesn't get to the championship game without this guy. Capron Lewis Moore, probably the most underrated player of the Brian Kelly era. And he kept uh, Stephon Tuitt and Lewis Nix in line. You notice when he wasn't around in 2013, they were both kind of loose cannons. Mm-hmm. But in 2012, they played great. Um, defensive coordinator, linebackers, I'm going with Drew Tranquil. Safety, I'm going with Alohi Gilman. Uh, based on attitude more than anything else. And cornerbacks, I'm going with a player coach, Sean Crawford. My head coach, Jalen Smith. All right. We didn't have that many of the same ones. I think Drew Tranquil as my defensive coordinator was the same. My head coach, I had Mike McGlinchey. I thought it would be funny if I, I mentioned this to Eric before we recorded, if I just named offensive linemen for all the different position coaches. I thought that would be kind of funny. But I did go Mike McGlinchey as the head coach, Zach Martin as the offensive coordinator, and Robert Haynes he as the offensive line coach. Defensive coordinator, like I mentioned, Drew Tranquil. Quarterbacks went with Malik Zaire. Um, running backs, Theo Riddick. I think he's he, he's a versatile guy, so I think he's learned a lot from um, the different things he's been asked to do as a running back. Miles Boykin, I appreciated his understanding of the game. I think he got he got pretty um, advanced in terms of wide receiver play through his time in Notre Dame. My list kind of skews on the on the more recent guys because I've got to know them more than than the the older guys. Um, Robert, I mentioned Robert Haynes, the offensive line. Tight ends, I went with Durham Smythe. Kyle Rudolph's probably the good choice there. I just don't know Kyle in any way, um, but I, I think he'd probably be a good choice there. Defensive line, I went with Sheldon Day. Um, I think he moved around a lot as well, kind of similar to Theo, so I think he'd be good. Linebackers, I went with Joe Schmidt. I think a lot of times you think of like the best players at these positions when you look over to coach, but there's nothing that Joe Schmidt didn't know how to do. It just was a matter of if he could actually do it. Um, so I, I think he would be very good I at eliminated that. him because he likes the Rudy theme. He <laughs> says it's the best movie song ever. Yeah, uh, cornerbacks, I went with Julian Love. I thought he was very, very smart in, in his cornerback play. Harrison Smith at safeties. I thought Alohi Gilman was, was close with that one as well. And special teams coach, I went with Kyle Brinza. Um, he obviously did both punting and kicking, so I think he would be pretty good at that as well. And he does some... Um, some co- some coaching some high school guys from, from time to time as well. All right, next question is from Andrew Barlow at Barl Andrew. 
uh, he's got a number of questions. So what cologne does Brian Kelly wear? Do you got any insight for that for us, Eric? You know, I was doing an interview with Brian Kelly. I had to use the men's room. He goes, I've got one right in my office. And so I go, oh, thank you. And I walked in there, <laughs> and there was a whole set of colognes around the sink. And I tried not to look because I wanted to respect his privacy, but I did not see Old Spice. So I will eliminate that. Okay, so that's all I can eliminate. All right. Which ND football equipment manager could dress out and compete? I have no idea. I would say none of them. <laughs> I, I don't know any of the managers by name necessarily, but there was a smaller guy that would always catch passes from the quarterbacks, um, and he seemed to have pretty good hands. They would, he would be at practice, and then even like at the coaching clinic, he would, they would have him out there when, when Tommy Reese was explaining quarterback drills. He'd, have, he'd be catches, catching passes from Ian Book, so he would be my selection. Next one, which South Bend pizza does Carl, Carter Carl's like best, Bruno's, Barnaby's, or Rocco's? I reached out to Carter, and he said Rocco's. Then he sent me a whole bunch of jokes that he wants me to tell, but I'm not going to tell him. Next one, would well, you? It's Papa John's. Papa John's is truly his favorite pizza, yeah. but if, if having to choose from that list, he, he he goes with Rocco's. And lastly, we have from Andrew, would you rather be punched by Drew White or sat on by Kurt Heinisch? Well, I'd rather be sat on by anybody than punched. <laughs> and I think Kurt Heinisch is enough that if you couldn't breathe, he would get off. Yeah, that was a... Uh, my question was, how long is, is Kurt Heinisch sitting on me, and is it like a forceful drop? Is he like jumping down onto me to sit on me? Because that would probably hurt pretty bad. Um, but I, I would rather be sat on than being punched. Um, and maybe maybe just have a nice conversation with Kurt. He's, he's pretty entertaining. He I, is very entertaining. I really like interviewing, interviewing Kurt, and I hope we get a, a lot of chances to do that this upcoming season. All right, that's it for this episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on po- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. The Pot of Gold podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And Tire Rack, the way tire buying should be. We have a few ideas for podcast guests in February, and we'll definitely record one after Notre Dame finalizes its coaching staff. But until then, stick with NDInsider.com for all your off-season coverage of Notre Dame football.